Welcome back to The Conversation, a podcast for and about women in business. I'm your host, Gina Simeone. This podcast is sponsored by Single Throw Marketing, a full-service digital marketing agency. If you're looking to invest your marketing dollars and beat your competitors, check us out at singlethrow.com to see how we can help grow your business. On today's episode, we have Stacey DiStefano. Stacy is the Chief Executive Officer for Consulting for Human Services, a company based in Philadelphia. Hey, how are you, Gina? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for joining us today. Um, I came across Stacy through a mutual friend and we got to talking and she's got a lot of interesting things to share and I'm so excited to have her on the show. So Stacy, tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, let me see. I am uh, professionally a mental health clinician at heart. I started in nonprofit human services in the early 90s, did a lot of community-based work, worked in uh, a group practice for a while when my kids were small, and then started taking roles in organizations helping people with serious mental illness, um, and kind of worked my way up through those organizations into other kinds of services, but always in that human service umbrella, folks with substance abuse, intellectual disability, mental health, things like that. So I've held a couple of C-suite roles in multi-state providers, done some consulting on the side for many years, and that turned into a business at a moment of pivot in 2021 uh, when I left a COO role that I'd held and decided to give this a go full time. So uh, the rest is kind of history, as they say. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. You've definitely been very busy. You wear a lot of hats, don't you? I do. I do. I sit on a couple of boards. Um, I advise some startups. Um, I'm trying to be involved, uh, you know, certainly with my family as much as I can. Uh, I live in Philadelphia. Uh, I love beach area of the Jersey shore. So there's a lot of travel. There's a lot of travel in my work, uh, a lot of travel in my downtime. So uh, definitely always on the go. Yeah, for sure. Are you a avid Philly sports fan? Oh my gosh. I married into that. Yes. <laughs> I'm yeah. sorry about that. I'm gonna no, no, no. It's good. I mean, in, in the beginning, I grew up outside of New York, New York City uh, in a part of Northern New Jersey, Central Northern New Jersey. So interestingly enough, my dad wasn't really a, a New York sports fan. So I didn't have that, uh, you know, affinity when I met my husband, who was a born and raised South Philly guy. So I tend to joke that those were in our vows. But yes, we we have season tickets to the Sixers. We go to all the sports games, all the things, Philly, and I love it. It's actually just an incredible community, incredible city. It is my favorite city in the country, and it's just such passion and energy. I love it. So tell me a little bit more about being a CEO and uh, the human services consulting business that you have. Sure. So I think like most folks who start on a clinical platform, uh, many, many folks in our industry who are in leadership roles started in a clinical role and sort of worked their way up by being good clinicians, by being likable, by being, you know, the folks that had a lot of energy, took on extra tasks, uh, the folks that the people in current leadership roles looked to to get things done. But we didn't have any of the business skills, right? So I often joke that, you know, I went to school and got a master's in counseling, but none of my courses were on revenue cycle management. Uh, we're on budgeting and finance and all of those pieces. So we had to learn that as we go. And I do think that there is a deficit in the nonprofit world because leaders are often good clinicians who rise up, but they don't have the same training as the for-profit entities who the leadership comes out of business school, 
right? And maybe you have to learn the service lines, but you already have that level of business acumen. So you're at a little bit of an advantage. So we really started to see a thread in the consulting work of noticing this big gap between the operational capacity of nonprofits versus their for-profit partners. Um, and so this is not a dig on either, but what we found is there's a real need to help close the gap between those two. So our consulting firm kind of has this, this mission of closing the gap between in the human services lane, the nonprofit and the for-profit providers, which in turn will give better service to the people who are in those, the care of those organizations, which is the point. Got it. Very interesting. Yeah. You would never really think about that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we had that firsthand. So now we have about 25 on our team and I'd say at least 10 to 12 of us have had those leadership roles in similar organizations, some for-profit and some non, but about a third of our business is working with private equity on the buy side of due diligence. So over the past few years, we've gotten to see the level of rigor at which they assess um, their potential targets for acquisition. And it got us to thinking like, you know what, our nonprofit partners, when we do strategic planning, should be looking at themselves with that same level of rigor. And that's one of the reasons we really developed some self-assessment tools and some consulting packages to really dive in on like the block and tackle stuff. See, the Philly sports reference comes in. There you go. The block and tackle. Of, <laughs> you can't you know, stay away from it. You can't say right. <laughs> My husband will be so proud. But, you know, those are the things like consulting is great. But consulting gets a bad rap because it's sort of this, you know, uh, just vague thing that happens and, you know, what's the deliverable. So we want to be really mindful and set ourselves apart from the big firms by saying the deliverable is that after our consulting engagement is done, when you go to work the next day, you know what to do. It's not yeah. like, hey, that was nice. And I have this, you know, 200 slide PowerPoint that I can look at again, but that doesn't help me operationalize Monday morning. Right. So we try to really get in the weeds and help partner with people to better run and manage their business. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Cause it's really, you know, you do see that, especially with human services, people are like, well, what, what is human services? Right. What, what exactly is that? And what do you do? What do you do? What do you do? Can you expand a little bit more on the human services and how it relates to mental health and all of that? Sure, sure. So, you know, if you're not in the space, the language can be a little bit clumsy. But what I will say is the umbrella of behavioral health, uh, when we talk about human services, so you think of the broad umbrella as behavioral health. And underneath that umbrella, you have mental health, you have substance use services, addiction services, treatment, you have autism services, you have intellectual disability services, you have long-term care, and we're starting to see what we call whole person care. So some primary care and medical services tailored to that community. So when we say the umbrella of behavioral health, what we really mean is all those things. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Good to know. Good to know. Yeah. yeah. So in kind of segueing a little bit, you know, when we were talking earlier bef before this podcast, you mentioned something to me that really kind of got my attention and I really liked it. And you said you get what you tolerate. So being a strong female business role model in your field, in any field, you've experienced, you know, a lot of turmoil up and downs. Um, tell me a little bit about some, maybe of some of the challenges you've had and how you really kind of took a strong hold of making your mark and tolerating what you deserve? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. So I, I have to attribute this back um, many years. I was at, uh, I think it was like a, 
women's conference of Philadelphia event. You know, they have a big women's convention. I can't remember the name of it. Um, but Carla Harris was one of the keynote speakers. And Carla Harris is an amazing, um, successful woman that I admire. I've read her books. I just think she's phenomenal. And she said something that I wrote down that day and I've had on my desk forever. And she said, the world doesn't hold a meeting to decide your value. That decision is yours. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it started me on this path of thinking about, you know, how do you set that tone for yourself? Right. And it, it sort of led me to um, looking at how I approach the world and how I approach relationships professionally, personally, and with employees, with clients in a way that, you know, really evolved into the you get what you tolerate mindset. So, yeah. you know, you have a choice in how you walk through your world personally and professionally. And the kind of things that I want to surround myself with are people with high integrity, people with purpose, uh, people that are transparent and have, you know, integrity uh, and are honest and are creative and support each other. And it's up to you, I guess, when I kind of paraphrase Carla's words, um, to build that life for yourself. So if you are tolerating substandard to what you want, then that is what you get, right? I think people rise or lower themselves to your expectations. So right. if you have a staff person who shows up late or sloppy deliverables or doesn't respect other people's time and you tolerate that, then that is what you get. And that's your choice, right? And it's the same for your working conditions. If you tolerate an environment where your voice isn't heard or your time isn't respected or your value isn't respected, then that's what you get. And that's on you. So yeah. I love this theme and this idea about, um, you know, no one's coming to save you. You know, you are the, the hero of your life, right? Yeah. And I was raised with strong women. I was raised with very strong uh, presence. My grandmother lived with us for a long time. Um, she was someone who divorced my grandfather in the 40s when my mom wow. was alive because he cheated on her. And she was like, I'm not having that. And think about back to like, you know, like my mom was born in 1946. So they had been married 12 years. My mom was five, right? So this is like 1951. Wow. How many women with no viable income just say you're out? <laughs> nobody, right? nobody, nobody. But nobody that is what she was a very strong personality, confident. And she cleaned, she was a, a what they called back in the day, a chambermaid in a hotel. She cleaned rooms. She cleaned the church for extra money. She did odd jobs. She did not have a professional career and she supported my mom. Uh, my grandfather then moved to Dallas. They lived in the North Jersey area. So she was a single mom in the fifties by choice. And wow. she was such a firecracker and she was such an important role model in my life that, you know, she used to just, you know, you get what you want. You speak up for yourself. You don't tolerate anything that, um, you know, is beneath you and just, I'm so grateful to have that presence really. That's amazing. Cause mm -hmm. you never hear, you never hear stories like that. No, no, no. She, she used to say, you should always be the most dressed woman in the room. You should never leave the house without lipstick, which is probably <laughs> passe, but I'm probably still guilty of that. Um, and then, you know, you, she was the, you get what you tolerate person, you know, like this is what's happening and you set the tone for yourself. And why would you let someone treat you poorly? That's on you. And, and so I'm so grateful for having that influence. And I think that's carried my personal and professional life. Absolutely. And you've, you've become very successful and a very powerful woman in the industry that you're in and, and beyond. So you're also a part of this organization called Chief. Tell me a little bit about Chief and what it is. 
Yes. When I first started hearing about Chief, I thought like, this is a fantasy land come true. <laughs> because I will tell you that in my career, like most careers, um, there aren't, there weren't a lot of women in my twenties in leadership roles. Yeah. Um, so I had a unique experience. My first job um, out of grad school and in my internship was run by um, a woman. Uh, her name was Eileen Dode, and she ran this crisis service center in Phoenix, Arizona. And she was tough as nails. And I was scared of her, not because she was scary, but because I'd never seen a woman in a leadership role like that. That was just everyone revered and respected. And she was so confident and strong. Yeah. Uh, and just I thought, well, this is so different. Right. I don't I haven't seen that before. It was always men. And so throughout my career, it's always been men in the top roles, much more in non-human service careers. So I at least had a few women role models there. But when I first saw Chief and it was a network um, for professional executive women and the tagline is women have always been powerful. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I have to see more about this. And then I started seeing it was you know, a membership, there's an application, there's an interview, they want to keep kind of that high level leadership. Um, it's not a mentoring, but it's sort of a peer support in the way that, you know, there's a core group and you support each other. And then there's all these bulletin boards and you can ask for what you need for resources personally and professionally. And I have to tell you that my core group, which is about 10 women that we meet every six weeks and we've met for two years, they are the main reason that I was able to leave my role and start my own business because they were like my constant hype squad. And they are like high powered women. One of them is a, a federal judge. One of them is the CEO of a major lingerie company. One of them is the CEO of the fund for the city of New York. She's on AmeriCorps board. She was appointed by two presidents to different um, national boards. So this isn't like I own a mom and pop business woman, no, no shade to women who own mom and pop business, but right, right. these are like nationally recognized, amazing women. And they have just been, we've just formed such a bond of support that they are the folks that I rely on, you know, when it's time to really make big decisions, because I think they see you and they know your experience in a way that your family can't relate to, even though they are, I have a very supportive husband, very supportive family. You know, he doesn't, he's a, a tax accountant. So he doesn't understand right. the consulting world or being a woman in leadership or managing being a mother and a wife and a, an executive. So they really give you this level of support um, because they've been in the trenches too. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Now that's good to learn more about them because I do see them everywhere and, you know, just kind of inquiring here and there, but it's good to really kind of dive into it and see how it is really empowering and supporting women um, in these executive roles. Because, yeah. you know, I say like, we're not going anywhere. <laughs> we're not going anywhere, but up. Right. No. And, you know, there's some hideous number that I think uh, the last I checked of all the fortune 500 companies, you know, in the world, 8% were led by women. Wow. And so that's beyond pitiful, right? Beyond pitiful. And then there was some other statistic that it would take 200 years to get equity in leadership roles. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm not waiting 200 years yeah. <laughs> for that type of uh, statistic. Ain't nobody got time that. for that. <laughs> right. I mean, I want my daughter's role to have that, you know, a different statistic when they're at that level. So, you know, I think it's a step forward. It, there's, it's an intentional engagement, it, it's more work for sure, right? It's time that you dedicate uh, to that process and to that network, but it's time well spent. 
So I think it's an incredible resource. I wish I had when I was younger. Um, if I had that in my 20s, 30s, even early 40s, I think I would have been where I am much faster. Got it. So it's really important to surround yourself with people that are, you know, your own cheerleaders, essentially. Yeah. I mean, and, and I think to know your struggles. I mean, I raised my kids in an environment where I only had one other friend who worked full time. And so, you know, it was great, you know, great women and, and many of them I'm still friends with today, but it would be like, hey, do you want to have coffee tomorrow at 10? And I'm like, I'm like the director of an agency. I'm working. <laughs> what? You know, no, you know. So, I mean, there, there's sacrifices to that, right? Like you can't, we, we used to joke, you can't be like the homemade cupcake mom at the class party. You're the paper goods mom. Right. <laughs> I'll send in the napkins and the plates because I just, my cupcake days are over, right? And yeah. you have to be okay with that. Um, but I also think having that experience is also what informs my leadership style with my team. Mm-hmm. And, I'll, and I'll give you a good example of that. So my director of operations, who is amazing, she's an amazing young woman. I absolutely could not run this company without her by my side. She is the yin to my yang, spreadsheets, detailed, in the weeds. You know, I'm the vision. I'm, you know, yeah. she doesn't like to be the center of attention. I love to do the speaking engagement. So <laughs> perfectly suited. Perfect, she, yeah. She has two young kids, you know, five and six. And we've arranged her schedule so that in the morning, she does not work between 8.30 and 9.30 because she drops them off at school. And she doesn't work between three and four because she picks them up. And then after dinner and after they go to bed, she puts in another two hours. And that's what she asked for. And that's the way she likes to work. And if there's a holiday party, like there just was, then she absolutely can take off and be present and not answer emails. And I think adapting so that women can get closer to having it all is a responsibility of women in leadership to remember that struggle and to make it different for the next generation. Yeah. And I think just even in that aspect with companies all over, we have really made some, you know, intense strides as far as that goes, because you see a lot more companies adapting the, you know, work-life balance, especially after COVID and everything. That's right. From home. So it's good to see that that's trending in the right direction um, and, you know, really kind of giving women a chance to do it all. Yeah. I mean, I think the reality and, and you know, folks would argue this point is like, you can't have it all. Right. I mean, that, you just can't. I mean, that's a nice tagline and that's a nice movie title, but truly <laughs> something does have to give, right? There are right. only so many hours in the day and you just can't have it all at the same time. Right. Like some days you can be the best mom, next day you can be the best CEO. That's right. Or some phases of your life, right? Like now my kids are all in their twenties, they're out of the house, they're on their own. And so I can be a hundred percent into my career where when they were in high school, that was just not possible. It was just not, it was not possible. So I think there's stages of your life where you, you, if you look back in the totality of your career and your life, you probably can have it all in pieces, but I really don't think you can have it all at the same time. Well, it's okay. It's it is okay. okay. It yeah. is okay. Yeah. I don't think we failed if nope. we don't do that. So I think we just have to relabel some of that for sure. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of your insights. And, you know, I really enjoyed learning about, you know, your business and about Chief, as well as, you know, how you can really kind of take control of your leadership as a woman in the business world. Thank you. Yeah, it's great. Anytime we can talk to other successful women, I'm always happy to do that. 
I appreciate it. Yes, there will be a lot, a lot of informed listeners listening to uh, <laughs> to hear all of your things. So thank you very much, and we wish you the best of luck with your uh, businesses moving forward. And we'll see great things to come. Thanks, Jane. Appreciate you. Thanks for joining the conversation, a podcast for and about women in business, hosted by Gina Simioli. Check us out on Instagram at the conversation with an H-E-R or visit conversation.com to catch up on all your favorite episodes. This podcast is sponsored by Single Throw Marketing, a full service digital marketing agency. Thanks for listening. Until next time.